You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. A few years ago, oh, I lied, a few months ago, my uh, son Landon had an MRI and he went in and he had the test and he came out and he goes, Dad, the funniest thing happened. He's like, I was in the MRI and the lady kept checking on me. You know, they give you the headphones and they can check on you, make sure you're doing okay. She kept checking on me through the whole thing. And he's like, it was so weird. And then I realized that when I first was about to get in, she gave me this ball and I was like, oh, cool. I have this little stress ball. And she said, use it if you need it. And he was like, this is so cool. I'm going to lay in there. And he's like, I'll just, you know, squeezing the stress ball, you know, kind of going throughout the test. And he's a drummer and a bass player. So he's listening to the music. He's probably doing it on beat. And every time he's squeezing it, she's like, Lennon, you okay? He's like, yeah, Len, you okay? And then he realized it's not a stress ball, right? It, it's a triggered mechanism that lets them know you need assistance, right? <laughs> so through the whole test, he's like, right? And I want to let you know that inside of all of us, there's this trigger that can go off, isn't there? There's a mechanism in all of us that can get triggered sometimes. And we're going to talk today about a few things that can kind of trigger us in life, all right? The first thing is, and the first question we're going to look at today is, what's a good rule for how we talk about our leaders, even those we disagree with? Man, that could be triggering. I know it doesn't apply to anybody here in the room, right? Man, in this political season, like how we talk about our government leaders and those over us, that's a big deal. Number two, what hope do we have when everything is falling apart? We've all been there. It just feels like thing after thing after thing is piled on top of another, right? It's like, I just can't imagine another thing going wrong. I can't imagine another scenario. And what hope do we have right there? It's so easy to feel forsaken. It's so easy to feel like the Lord isn't paying attention and that there's just no hope. So we're going to talk about that. Question three, what do you do when you're falsely accused or lied about? Man, we've all been there. And we're going to learn some powerful, practical things that we can do from Paul as we see what he did in the scriptures today. And then question number four, what do you do when you have to wait? I don't think there have ever been a group of people uh, less patient than 21st century Americans, right? We just want what we want now and we want it now, right? And so today we're going to talk about whether it's waiting for, hey, what's the provision going to be? How am I going to get through this season of life? I got health needs. Uh, where's my spouse? You know, kids in the room, what am I going to do with my life? Like all those different waiting things that are happening. Uh, what do we do when we have to wait? And we're going to see today that this is, again, some stuff that triggers us, right? Leaders we disagree with, everything falling apart, false ideas accusations, and waiting. So we're going to jump into that. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today or watching online, I hope you leave today encouraged by what you hear, but I also hope that you leave knowing the love of Jesus, his incredible sacrifice for you, and that he wants a relationship with you. So let's get going. Uh, We took a break from this the last three weeks. A few weeks I was away, and then last week we did some baptisms, which is incredible, up at the property. And so we're going to dive back in here this morning. Paul, if you remember, willingly walked into a city he was going to be arrested in, and he's been basically beaten, and crowds have come against him. And then the commander decided Paul needed to stand before the chief priests and the Sanhedrin, which was the kind of the Jewish ruling council. And it says in Acts 23.1, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. So Paul is just saying, Hey, I think I'm doing the things God wants me to do. And the chief priest says, hit this guy in the face for saying what he just said. Now, just a second, okay? So this leader is over Paul. 
Now, a lot of us have issues with maybe the government leaders we have now, the ones we had last time. Some of us already don't like the next person. We don't even know who it is yet, right? And so we have these issues, and it's like, you know, my rights and what I'm allowed, and we, and we get to shake our fists, and we get all angry, and Paul was just hit in the face because the leader said hit him in the face for what he said. This wasn't a policy Paul disagreed with. He's literally struck in the face. So if there's anyone we can learn what to do from, man, it is definitely Paul. Now, having said that, the very next phrase is not what we should do, okay? So let's look at what happens here, but it's gonna make sense why Paul says what he says here, all right? Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. I don't recommend saying that to the leaders over you, okay? Um, What is a whitewashed wall? Well, a whitewashed wall is a wall that looks good, but there's something going on deeper, okay? What I mean by that is that's kind of like if you have mold on a wall and instead of removing the mold, you paint over it and the wall looks nice, but the mold's still there. Or you have a nice wall that has some beautiful sheetrock, but behind it, it's not structurally sound. Uh, When I was a kid, there was a hurricane in Florida and so our church youth group got into some vans with the leaders and we drove down there and we tried to help out. We weren't so good on the construction side, we weren't bad on the demo side. And we were there for a week doing all this work and the last day, we had stayed in this house that had been fixed up and it was empty. The family hadn't moved back in yet. They were gracious enough to let us live there for a week while we were helping out. And the last day, like within the last half hour of packing up the vans and leaving, all the leaders were outside getting all the luggage in the van and all us kids are inside. And one of my friends put on some music and we started a mosh pit in the den of this house. And one of us ended up through the sheetrock, okay? I won't say who it was. But uh, we then found a picture or a mirror or something like that that we put perfectly in its place. And we're like, this is great. They'll never know, right? And then the of the Spirit hit us. We're like, that's horrible. We cannot do this to these poor people. We're here to fix Florida, not break Florida, right? And so we told the leaders what had happened, but that's a perfect example. A lot of us have a picture up, and there's some real brokenness behind it, don't we? And you know, this isn't an answer to one of our questions that I brought up today, but if I could just say to all of us, if I could just give us permission to be real with one another, be real about the things going on in our lives, that we don't have to have a beautiful picture up every Sunday, everybody. We can come in as we are. We can come in hurting. We can come in needy. We can come in desperate. We can come in sad. We can come in happy. We can come in joyful. But we can be the real thing. And in fact, when we become the real thing, that's when the brokenness behind the picture actually gets healed up and fixed, right? And so, little side note, let's be the real thing. We don't have to put on a show for one another, but let's keep going. He says to the high priest, or the chief priest rather, you sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Paul's saying, okay, you guys say I'm breaking the law because I'm talking about Jesus being alive, but you just broke the law because Jewish law says that I can't be punished in any way until I'm found guilty. I haven't been found guilty, and you just had me punched, right? So he's literally saying, you're breaking the law as you say I'm breaking the law. And you're all going, wow, these are wonderful things to tell our leaders. No, that's, that's not what we've gotten to yet. Now we're going to get there. Okay, what's a good rule for how we talk about leaders, even those we disagree with? Acts 23, 4. Those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I, didn't not, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, you ready? Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Everybody say, oof. Does that hit anybody? Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. So Paul's going, oh, the only reason I called you a whitewashed wall, Mr. Chief Priest, sir, or Mr. High Priest, sir, is because I had no idea that's who you were. Had I known you were the high priest and you were the leader above me, I never would have spoken about you like that. So let me ask you a couple questions. Have you spoken evil 
of our current leadership? Have you spoken evil of our past leadership? Have you spoken evil of the future leadership who's not even there yet and you don't even know yet, right? What do we know the scriptures tells us to do? Well, we know now, Paul's quoting Exodus here, by the way, he says this, so we find this in New Testament and Old Testament. He says, don't speak evil of the leaders over you. But what do we find that we're to do throughout the scriptures? We're to pray for them. We're to pray for them, which makes a whole lot of sense because if you think about it, speaking evil of our leaders isn't gonna do anything anyway, but praying for our leaders will do something, won't it? And so let's let that kind of hit our hearts where we are. It's quiet. There's not a lot of amens in this part of the service today. That's okay. But I just want to say that it doesn't mean we can't disagree with the leaders over us. It doesn't mean we can't even try to come up with a better way than maybe the leaders over us are doing it. But we're going to respectfully and we're going to carefully talk about them and make sure that we're praying for them. What's a good rule for how we talk about leaders, even those we disagree with? We do not speak evil of them and we pray for them. Let's go on, verse six. Then Paul, knowing that some of the Sadducees and the other Pharisees called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. So Paul's going, I'm, you know, my background is super Jewish, he's saying. I was, you know, among the leaders of the Jews. He says, I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. What is Paul talking about here? He is talking about the fact that they put Jesus on a cross, they placed him into a grave, and then he rose back from the dead. And this is the hope that Paul has. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today or watching online, that is your hope. It's my hope that Jesus died in our place, that he rose back from the dead, that we would know him. He wants to forgive us and cleanse us of all of our sin, that we will never, by trying to do enough good deeds, will ever catch up with that. We need a savior and one who can stand in our place and die in our place and forgive us and give us the promise of eternity with him. That's all in him. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, what do I want you to leave knowing? I want you to leave knowing that you have an amazing God who loves you, who died for you, who rose from the dead, who wants to forgive you and wants to have a relationship with you. Let's keep going. Verse seven. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. So you have these two groups within the Jewish leadership. One, one group believes in spiritual things, the other doesn't. And so there's this argument between them now. Verse nine, uh, there was a great uproar and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take them away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. So we've seen what to do about the leadership issue. And again, let me say this too. I mean, in 35 minutes of a message, I can't answer every question and objection about this. And so sometimes, right, the questions that come up here in the sermon, we could talk about later. Let's talk about in the halls. Let's grab some coffee. Let's talk, right? And so if you leave today going, yeah, but what about, well, let's have a conversation to follow that up. But question two, what hope do we have when everything's falling apart? Paul has literally everything falling apart in his life right? He's been arrested. He's been falsely accused. He's been screamed at. He's been punched. He's been uh, imprisoned. He's been abandoned by people who should have stuck by his side. I mean, he's been through it all. And this is where I just need you all to look me in the eye for a minute because I believe in this crowd today and watching online, there are a bunch of us who have maybe recently said, what else could possibly go wrong? Like what else could pile up on this And it's right here that we begin to go, Lord, if you were with me, I wouldn't be going through this. 
Lord, if you were close, if you had my back, if you were present, if you were who the Bible says you are, I wouldn't be going through this. And here is Paul in the midst of all of it falling apart. What hope does he have and what hope do you and I have? Verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul. Everybody say the Lord stood near Paul. That's so powerful. This is one of those verses we love to speed past. And we're going to Scratch the surface on this today, and two weeks from today is going to be the last part of our Acts series. I know, Jesus didn't come back yet. It's incredible we made it through, right? Uh, but we're going to get through the Acts series, and uh, we're going to talk in depth about what it means that the Lord stands near us. That's going to be a big theme of that last service. But Paul is in the middle of these horrific uh, circumstances. He doesn't know how much time he has left on earth. He's been uh, through all kinds of horrific things and pain and injustice, and the Lord stands with him. I don't know what surrounds you. I mean, hey, I, I guess I do know what surrounds some of you because you let me walk through it with you. And I know some of the hardship in this room and I know some of the heartache in this room. And whether I know or not what you're going through, the Lord knows what you're going through. And I just can't imagine anything more comforting than the Lord standing with me, the Lord standing near me, him coming close in the midst of another thing, Another stress, another weight, another sleepless night, another pressure that comes on us. The Lord stands near you. I can tell you from personal experience that some of the times I felt the Lord the closest is when I was going through the worst. Some of the times I felt him so near. And I can't say that every time I've been through something horrible, I've felt that. But so many times I've been through something horrible. I truly sense him right there with me, his grace and his strength walking with me right through the worst of it. And so the Lord stood near Paul, I think largely to comfort him. But it wasn't just to comfort him. Let's keep going. Look at the next part, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, and it goes on here, right? Take courage as you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The Lord stood near Paul to comfort him. But listen, he also stood near Paul to empower him. Because this isn't over yet, right? Paul, I want to give you comfort, but it's not just so that you can feel good. It's because I've got stuff for you to do. And so I'm going to comfort you, and I'm going to empower you to keep going and be this bold witness that I've called you to be. So I want to do something right now. I want to pray for two groups of people in this room. I want to pray for those of us in this room and watching online that need comfort, and those of us that just need to be empowered to take another step, just another, another move forward. Some of us in the room, it's like, I don't even know how I'm going to get up tomorrow right? Uh, anybody in the room thinking about taking your life? No. No, you're going to get the comfort of the Lord, and he's going to empower you to keep going. Ready to give up on Jesus? No. We're going to pray for the comfort of the Lord, and he'll empower you to keep going. I'm done with battling this sin struggle. I'm just going to give in. No. We're going to ask the Lord for comfort and his empowerment. Let's pray together right now, right here in the middle of the message. Lord, how we need you, God. How we need your comfort how the weights add up, how the pressures can become so debilitating. And Lord, we need your comfort right now. Holy Spirit, comfort us. Holy Spirit, you're called the comforter. And so meet us right here in this moment, whatever we're going through. And Lord, also empower us, Lord. Empower us to not give up on you, on life, on the thing you've called us to, on seeing freedom and breakthrough in our lives, on seeing the dreams you've given us, Lord, come to fruition because of ways you've led us to gifts and talents and opportunities. May we not back down now. 
even if we're like Paul, beaten up, beaten down, jeered at, mocked, falsely accused, in the prison cell, so to speak. Lord, comfort us and empower us. Amen. Goes on, verse 12. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Bad call, man. Food is good, all right? This is just stupid. You're going to get hangry, turn into those zombie people who need food, you know? So verse 13, more than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we've taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we've killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you. Listen, this is a whole plot. On the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. Listen, and we're ready to kill him before he gets here. Isn't this like hypocrisy at its finest? Like they're saying, Paul, you've broken the law because you say that Jesus is the Messiah, but they're okay with murdering him, right? Again, just being real. We know about this high priest uh, from some first century scholars that he was a whitewashed wall, that he used violence and assassination to get what he wanted, that he held back money he should have passed along to other priests and kept it for himself. So, so we know that these guys are a bit of a mess here. And then it says this, after this whole plot comes, it is secretly whispered about in verse 16, it says, but when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul, the son of Paul's Sister, just say nephew. Just say it, right? Like, I don't got to do the mental energy and hula hoop flips here. Just say nephew. Okay. Paul then has the son of his sister go to the commander and tell him what he heard. And the commander said, keep this quiet. So there's this whole plot. The Lord stood with Paul. And now the Lord brings this plot to light through the son of Paul's sister. And there's now this knowledge of what's going on because the Lord is with him. Verse 23. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers. This is like some straight up gladiator stuff. 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. And so there's this whole plan. They want to kill Paul. We're going to protect Paul. Verse 25, he wrote a letter as follows. Claudius, Lysias. Now pay attention to these names. To his excellency, Governor Felix. So pause there for a minute. We've been saying this all throughout this series. I love that Paul, and, or, or Luke rather, as he writes Acts, is saying specific names of specific rulers because he was a historian. And he wasn't writing a fairy tale here. He was writing history. And I love that he gets those names right and makes it a point to list them. But it says here, Greetings, this man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him. But I came with my troops and rescued him for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him. So I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against this man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. The soldiers bring Paul in. To deliver the letter to the governor. And then the governor said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. And then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. What do you do? Man, and how do you have hope when everything is falling apart? The same Lord that stood by Paul stands by you. The same spirit that was in Paul is in you. He's there to comfort us and to empower us even when life is at its worst. Acts 24, 1, five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. Everybody say five days later. Five days 
So here we are, Paul's waiting, and we're gonna get to that in just a minute. Paul's waiting. You ever get that text from a friend? It's like, hey, I'm upset about something, but I can't talk about the weekend. Or can't talk till the weekend, rather. It's like, thanks. Thanks that you sent me the text on the weekend. Tell, tell the son of your sister to send the text on the weekend, right? Like, why'd you, you know, um, you get the email from your boss. Like, oh, we're making big changes and there might be a shakeup, uh, but I'll be on vacation this week. We'll talk when I get back, right? And now you got to wait, right? And some of us are right there. And we're going to see how Paul handles that in just a few minutes. But in the next part here, Paul's called in and Tertullus uh, flatters Felix a bit. And, and this is where we really learn what to do when we're falsely accused or lied about. It says in verse five, we have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. Not true. None of that is true. Lied about, misrepresented. Have you been there, right? Someone at work misrepresented you. A friend made up straight up lies about you. What do you do right here? And again, this is not an exhaustive list of things to do, but I wanna give you a couple of ideas here that I pray will help. And I just wanna say too, it it just comforts me that Paul understands this because I've been misrepresented at times, haven't you? It, It makes me feel better that Jesus gets it because he was perfect. I mean, I'm imperfect. There's times I've done wrong things and I should be accused of like, oh, you made a mistake there, dog, or you did something stupid or you said something dumb. Like, that's true because I fail, right? But Jesus was perfect and he was falsely accused and lied about and he gets it. He understands that feeling. I know it doesn't take the pain away, but having someone to relate to is big. Then they tell Felix to examine him and others join in, and Paul's allowed to make his defense. And here we go, verse 11. You can easily verify, Paul says, that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges they're now making against me. And so Paul is able to give a little bit of his defense. Paul then declares his love for God. He believes in the resurrection of the dead. And he talks about why he'd done some of the things he'd done. And then it says in verse 20, these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. And I love this. You ready? Here's verse 21. This is what's going to help us today, I think. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Here's what we can learn from Paul. This is big, okay? And it it can be when you're lied about, uh, falsely accused, or even just in conflict within your home, friend group. Here's what Paul discovers. He's on trial for something. He's accused of something. And the accusation isn't really what it's all about. The accusation is you desecrated the temple and you, you know, like none of those things happened. You led a revolt. None of those things happened. Remember a few chapters ago, there was a rumor going around that Paul was an Egyptian terrorist, right? Like none of these things happened. And Paul realizes something so wisely. He realizes that the accusation is not the trouble. He's really on trial because he believes that Jesus is back from the dead. And in our miscommunications and more falsely accused and all those different types of things, it is so wise of us to, to look and have the discernment of God and say, God, am I really in this conflict right now because of what they're saying I did? Or is there something else going on behind the scenes here? Because often we're accused of something or in a conflict, there's a miscommunication around something and the heart of the issue is very different than what's being talked about at the surface. Our staff right now, we've been learning from a great leader who's helping us discern how to really get to the heart of an issue. Guys, this will help some marriages in the room. This will help some parent-kid relationships in the room. When we have conflict and when there's accusation, to, to, to just take 
a little time to stop and go, Wait, um, all right, you're saying this, but I kind of feel like, is this the heart of the issue? And, and this great leader, Craig Rochelle, he talks about how we're often like 15 or 20 questions away from getting to the heart of the matter. You know, you're like 15 or 20 questions. Who has time to ask 15 or 20 questions? Okay, just argue over here endlessly for days and days and days then, right? No, have the hard conversation. Ask the tough questions. You, you said that I did this. Uh, let's talk about that. Um, you said that you felt that way. Okay, so we got that. Um, you thought this, and I didn't think that. And, okay, and now we're like actually getting somewhere. And Paul's able to go, here's the accusation. Here's why I'm really on trial. We'd be so wise as people. Again, even in our marriage relationships, our parent-child relationships to go, okay, I'm on trial right now because uh, I was told I, I should take the garbage out, and I did it, right? But I actually think maybe there's something deeper going on here. Let's get to that, right? And so Paul got to that. And I also love about this whole idea of Paul's, the weight of these accusations. Don't raise your hand, but isn't it true when you get accused of something falsely that it brings a great weight on you? And sometimes you just carry that and, and you feel so misrepresented and misunderstood and you carry that with you. And what I love about Paul and what I learned from him in all of this and really through the whole book of Acts, through all the mis misrepresentation and accusation and false things, it just doesn't seem to weigh him down. He just is able to go, I know what's true, I know my God, and I'm going to go ahead and take the weight of that off myself. Recently, my wife was just carrying a few things, and she just shared with me. She goes, it just hit me so strongly this week. Everything I'm stressed about is out of my control. So I'm just going to relieve myself of this weight and carrying around all this responsibility and give it to the Lord. Joe prayed a great prayer about the building project, right, today. He said, Lord, we put the weight on you. Jesus was like, thanks so much. No, we put, we put the weight on you, Lord, right? Because we, what are we going to do, right? I mean, you guys have been so incredibly generous. We're in this together. We're raising money. We're doing everything we know to do. So, Lord, we're going to put the weight on you because there's a lot of things we can't control outside that. Man, what a beautiful thing to learn to do in a conflict, falsely accused, misrepresented. A few weeks ago on vacation, um, I was at a local beach with my family, and we're sitting on the beach, and um, about, like, like, the beach is low, Okay, some of you guys have probably been at this beach. The beach is low, and then there's like a staircase up about 100 feet, and then there's, um, you know, this platform. And, and I'm sitting, and I had just turned my chair around so I could talk in a circle with some of my extended family. And I look up, and I see at the top of the stairs a couple that I know. And I hadn't seen the wife in probably about seven years and the, and the husband about five years, but my instant thought was like, oh, that's so-and-so, you know? And I see them make eye contact with me and then say something to each other, and then turn around and walk away. And I'm like, I ruined the whole beach for you? Like, really? Like, I mean, if you didn't want to say hi, you could. there's a lot of sand, you know what I mean? Like, I'll move my towel over a little bit, you know? Like, and I just, I felt so incredibly hurt. Like, this was a couple, I mean, I'm not super close with them. Obviously, I haven't seen them in a long time. We're 100 feet away. And who knows? Maybe they saw them and they were like working through something and they just needed to go talk it out. Didn't want to see anybody they knew. Let's go with that, okay? But I had no idea because last I knew, we were good. And I hope I get the opportunity to ask a few questions about, what's up? Are we okay? Is all good? Now listen, 100 feet away up a flight of stairs, haven't seen these people in years and years. Some of you guys are going to drive home with somebody that you need to have a conversation with and get to what's really going on. Some of you will work with somebody this week. Some of you will go back to school. I know I said the word, guys. Sorry. You'll go back to school this week with somebody that you need to get to the heart of the real issue with. But it's worth it. Learn from Paul. And if you've been falsely accused or misrepresented, man, let's learn from Paul. I'm going to take that weight right off me. 
God, place it on you. You know who I am. And if I did something wrong that I shouldn't have done, let's own it. Let's work it through and let's move past it, right? I love what we see in Paul here. Then we're going to learn a little bit more from Paul here. <clears throat> Felix put the case on hold. Everybody say on hold. Uh, he says that when a certain commander gets there, they were going to decide his case. And then Paul's kept under guard and given some freedom. And, freedom. and then Acts 24, 24, it says several days later. Everybody say several days later. See, that's important because, again, question four, what do you do when you have to wait, right? We've seen the answers to our other questions today. What do you do when you have to wait? We got more waiting here. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. And listen, what do you do when you have to wait, okay? Let's just look at this. Several days later, Felix comes with his wife, Jewish, sent for Paul, listened to him as he what? As he complained about all his problems. As he griped, whined, moaned, Got in the fetal position on the floor, right? As he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. You just put Paul through the ringer. You just beat him down, had him punched. He's been arrested. The crowd came against him. The mob didn't want him. Like, they want him dead. There's this whole plot. And he's still going forward. What do you do when you have to wait? What do we see Paul do? He keeps his eyes on Jesus and he keeps his eyes on the mission. Keeps his eyes on Jesus. And he keeps his eyes on the mission. Some of you guys are waiting right now. Waiting for the right person to come along. Waiting for the opportunity to come along. Waiting for all of your hard work to finally get you somewhere. Waiting for provision. Waiting for healing. What do you do? I think what we're tempted to do is take our eyes off the Lord and off the mission. Paul's just going, no, I'm just honed in on Jesus. And I'm honed in on doing what he called me to do, which is continue to preach the message. And so what does it look like for you in your waiting to keep your eyes on him? Someone met me in the lobby after and just said, I just needed that reminder because, man, I just feel like I've been going through it. I'm carrying other people's weights. I'm carrying my own weights. And I just needed to hear today, keep my eyes on Jesus, keep my eyes on the mission. That's where a lot of us are. A lot of you guys have said to me in the hallways, like, oh, be, you know, busy summer. It's so good to be back, right? Hey, let's get our eyes back on Jesus. Maybe the summer, just getting out of the rhythm of church and, and, and you, know, you, you know, routine. Just, we just got our eyes off Jesus. We didn't end up, you know, forsaking our faith, or, but we're just off Jesus, right? And so keeping our eyes on him as we wait for what the, the Lord has for us. Verse 25, as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. And Paul's waiting. And now it feels like this guy's messing with him, doesn't it? And I think often we can feel like maybe even God's messing with us. Like, God, are you messing with me? I'm, I'm still in prison. It's been all this time. And I just can't imagine where you are. I'm not saying Paul said that, but maybe I'd think that there. And then it says this. Thank God the waiting's about to end, right? Nope. Verse 27, when two years had passed. Everybody say two years. When two years had passed, he is still waiting. Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. And you just threw the whole book of Acts, and we'll see it again next week. Paul just goes, and keep my eyes on Jesus. Keep my eyes on what he's got for me. They've done everything they can to shut me up, but I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. And the Lord stood with him. I just think that's so powerful. I think it's evidence that the Lord stood with him. He was able to keep going. He was able to keep his eyes on Jesus and keep his eyes on the mission. 
I pray you and I will do the same. I think we get ourselves into places of regret when we get our eyes off Jesus and off the mission during the waiting. And then God comes through because he's merciful. And then we kick ourselves and go, why did I kick my eyes off him through this, right? He had me all along. And so I would encourage you to keep your eyes right there. So what have we seen today? What's a good rule for how we talk about leaders, even those we disagree with? We don't speak evil of them and we pray for them. Church, come on, let's do it. It's hard. It's not easy. Well, let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for them. I mean, the griping in the Facebook posts, I don't think they're seeing them, right? I don't think they really care all that much. I think it causes a lot of disunity and a lot of problems for us all. But let's learn how to, even if we disagree, say, all right, I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe for a better way. But, you know, whether I like you or not, I'm going to respect the position that you're in. And I'm going to pray that God would work mightily in your life. What hope do we have when everything is falling apart? The Lord stands near us, to comfort us, to empower us. What do we do when we're falsely accused or lied about? Well, we got to make sure we're getting to the heart of what's actually going on. Ask some questions, do some research, figure it out. Why are you actually on trial? You're getting accused because of this, but, but what really drove that, right? What, what, what's actually going on over here? And at the end of the day, you might just have to take the weight of that off you and say, God, I'm going to give this to you. It says in Peter that we cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for us. Lastly, what do you do when you have to wait? You keep your eyes on Jesus and your eyes on the mission. Guys, next week is an amazing week to invite friends who don't normally come with you to church, okay? Um, We got Christmas, Easter, and next Sunday, all right? So bring your friends next week because the way that the scriptures go and the way the story goes, it's just a perfect day as we look at the next two chapters to really unpack what it is to follow Jesus, what it isn't to follow Jesus. And we'll all be encouraged, even those of us who have a relationship with God for many years, but great day to have your neighbor or your coworker or your friend from school sitting next to you. But if we take seriously what we heard today, we will be people who don't speak evil of our leaders, but pray for them. We'll be people who receive comfort and empowerment from the Lord, even as things fall apart. We'll ask some questions to get to the heart of conflict or walk free of the weight of false accusation. And we will wait with our eyes on Jesus and on the mission that he's given to us. Let me close with this last little story here. John Bunyan was a preacher in the 1600s. And before he was a preacher, he was a part of the Church of England, which at that time was just incredibly religious. It was institutional and it was just all about works. It was all about how you could try to be a good person and buy your way into salvation and indulgences and all this stuff. And um, he understood the emptiness of that religion. And so he pursued a relationship with Jesus. And he began to tell others about this relationship with Jesus. And he started leading meetings that were unauthorized. They were not authorized by the Church of England. And because of that, he was arrested. Maybe you guys think he got a slap on the wrist. Uh, You know, he got put in prison for a week or two. Twelve years, John Bunyan was in prison for talking about a relationship with Jesus in the 1600s in England. And in prison he wrote something really beautiful called The Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most well-known Christian books ever written. But he says something very candid and raw that I want to unpack with you. Remember, this is 1600, so the, the wordage is a little bit different than what we use today, but we'll get what he means. You ready? Read it with me. I've continued with much content through grace. He's writing this from prison. But have met with many turnings and goings upon my heart. What does that mean? He's saying I'm up and down. I'm up and down, man. Sometimes I'm doing great and sometimes I'm struggling. So he's real. He says, I have these turnings and goings upon my heart, both from the Lord. So that would be when he's up. Satan and my own corruptions. 
by all which glory be to Jesus Christ, I have also received among many things, much conviction, instruction, and understanding. Now listen to this statement. I never find in all my life so great an inlet into the word of God as now. He's saying that from prison. Those scriptures that I saw nothing in before are made in this place and state to shine upon me. Listen to this next phrase. Jesus Christ also was never more real and apparent than now. Here I have seen and felt him indeed. Were it lawful, I could pray for greater trouble for the greater comfort's sake. That last line is confusing but so powerful. Here's what he's saying. He's saying if it were lawful, if it were reasonable, To pray for more problems, I would do it if it meant I could get more comfort from Jesus. He's saying, I feel the comfort of God, the Lord standing near me in such a palpable way right now, that if I could, he's not recommending this, but if I could pray for more trouble, I would do it if it meant I would get closer to him and feel his presence and his comfort even more. I want to say that sometimes at the worst, It's like God builds us a little platform to shine from. It's a really unique platform. It doesn't work when everything's going good. It's only built for us to kind of stand on and shine from when we're going through it. And the people around us see it. And, and, you know, I, I think, yes, miracles are great. We pray for miracles. We believe God to do mighty things. But there's something about what the Lord can do in and through us in hardship. That just makes the world pay attention. And so if that's where you are right now, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord to stand by you and comfort you and empower you and that he would shine through you mightily. Because I think John Bunyan lived out everything that we talked about today. He endured horrible leadership. He lived through everything falling apart, being falsely accused and waiting in a prison cell for 12 years. But listen, comforted, empowered, eyes on Jesus and on his mission. Let's pray together. God, we're just so grateful. And your word is so powerful, Lord. Thank you that it's so relevant to our lives and it speaks right to what we're going through. And we just humble ourselves before you, God. We just say that we're so thankful that we're not left to ourselves. We're so thankful that we can look to your word and we can learn so much. And we're just humbled today, God. Thank you for how you speak. This isn't me up here. It's, it's your word, God, um, bringing life to all of us, me included, God. It's, it's you, Lord. So we just thank you for that and start there. God, I just pray that you help us in these different categories. God, we're going we're gonna to live out what we learned today. Right now, we're going to pray for our leaders. Lord, I pray for President Biden and all of his people, his family. God, I pray he would know you. If he doesn't, I pray he would come to a deep, close relationship with you. I pray for his family and his kids and his grandkids. And I pray for those that work alongside of him. Lord, we pray for the next leader, whether it's him or someone else, Lord. God, we begin to just cover them in prayer that you move mightily in their lives, Jesus, drawing them close to you. God, help us not speak evil, but pray. God, I'm going to pray for those of us who just feel like everything's falling apart. And I just pray again that you'd comfort us and empower us, Lord. Jesus, I pray for those of us who just struggling with that lie told about us, struggling with that that accusation that's not fair. 
And I pray, God, that you'd be a shield around us and that you'd give us grace to ask the tough questions to get to the heart of the issue. But also, God, that you would just help us take the weights of those accusations off of us, Lord. And lastly, God, I pray you'd help those that are waiting. Keep our eyes on you and our eyes on the mission, Lord, that we'd not get distracted. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, I'd love for you to pray with me now if you'd like to put your trust in Jesus. You can know him. You can know a relationship with him. You can know that your sins are forgiven and you can know that he stands with you. If you'd like to pray with me now, you can just say something quietly like this. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for your love for me. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you came to rescue me in a way I never could rescue myself. Jesus, show me how close you are. Show me that you stand with me. Put your Holy Spirit in my life. Thank you for this gift of salvation. In your name I pray, amen. We're gonna stand now and worship together to close the service out. And I just encourage you to respond today if you need prayer. At the 9.30 service, a whole bunch of people came up for prayer. It was awesome. We got to pray with just a ton of people. And I encourage you, whether it's something we talked about today or something totally different, I encourage you to come up and receive some prayer today. Uh, Myself and some others will be up here. And I say this once in a while, I'm happy to pray with you. I love to pray with you, but don't feel like you have to pray with me. You can also pray with some of our other prayer prayer team members. Uh, They're the people that I go to when I need prayer. And so they really go for it. So I encourage you to come up if you need some prayer today. God bless you guys.